Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey, thanks for joining me here on the Do Business Better podcast. It's me, Damian Mason. Got a fun show for you today. We have with us Angie. If you have read my book, and even if you have not, you need to know about Angie. She is mentioned in my chapter about risk tolerance in the book Do Business Better because Angie and I have been doing business since the year 2007. Actually, we met prior to that in 2004. Uh, Angie has her own company. She has been successfully running her own business since 2007. I was one of her first clients. I use her as an example about risk tolerance and about how there is no such thing as a right time or a perfect opportunity or a golden opportunity to start your own business. You just do it because it's the right thing for you and you know you can make it work. So that's a little bit about what we're going to cover today is Angie started out 12 years ago. She now employs uh, five people. She has a great little company. Uh, she's grown and it's a good story that you can learn from about starting from your kitchen table as a divorcing mother of three, starting from a kitchen table and building it into a business. Angie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right. So you're a little different than some of my guests because you and I actually have a rich history in that I was one of your early clients when you started out. So let's go back there. So you're 2007. You're getting divorced. You're living in a rental house. You got three kids under the age of 15, 14, 12. Hell, I don't know. Under the age of 10, probably. They were five and seven. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They were five and seven. And, uh, and then you say, all right, I'm going to start doing this business. Well, uh, yeah, I had a card table and a computer, and that's all I needed to get started and the sheer determination to put food on the table for my children. Okay, so it flies in the face. And that's why I said I use you as an example that there's no such thing as, oh, well, and then this whole opportunity came up. I find it funny, and so do you, because you and I talk about this. There's folks that say, well, you know, if, if things were a little different, if this thing would happen, then I could start my own business. You and I didn't really have that luxury. We just said, we're going to make this thing go. Uh, what was the spark? Well, at the time, I, I found myself wanting to be flexible for my children and available. And the only thing that I knew that I did well was graphic design and marketing. So I knew that if I worked hard enough doing what I loved, that I could support my family. So I just, every hour of the day was was thinking about how I could make it work. And I just, <laughs> I don't even know how to explain it. I just did what I needed to do. I didn't really... I didn't really consider anything else. I just knew it was what I had to do. That's good because, uh, you know, a lot of people out here are saying, all right, uh, I need this right idea. I mean, everybody thinks that there's going to be some big idea. I talk about this all the time. The idea matters 10%. The initiative to go and actually make it happen, that's 90%. You didn't have some brilliant idea, a new better mousetrap or a new paperclip or a new uh, software business. Your thing was, I know how to design and I want to be independent well, I so think, that we have some flexibility. But I think that the difference between myself and other entrepreneurs is that I did not want to have a business. I never intended to have a business. I wanted to do design and I wanted to do what I loved that supported the lifestyle that I wanted, but I never saw this becoming a business. I was just a freelancer. And as the business grew, I had to learn how to manage those aspects. But when I started doing this work, I could have projected myself in five years, 10 years, I would have never considered it a business or a business plan. 
Yeah, and you never had a business plan. It's one of my big questions. You never had a business plan, right? I had several people contact me over the years and try to uh, sell the idea of a business plan to me, but I have never jumped on board with a business plan, no. Okay, and as I point out, I've never had a formal business plan either. I've had goals, I've had objectives, I've had to-do lists, I've had uh, map out where I'm going to be at the end of this year and then the year after that, but as far as formal business plans, I find them to be completely useless, and also they are... They're not they're not useless in that they make you think about your future, but the problem is they are quickly outdated. You started there on a card table in a rental house. You got three kids that are under the age of second grade or third grade, and then you said, I'm just going to work for myself. This affords me the flexibility to do this, and I can charge people on, a, um, on an hourly basis. When did it start looking like a business? I would say when, let's see... I only lived in that rental house for two and a half years with the card table. When I moved to the next house, I hired my first employee. And I would say that was the biggest step that I had taken to formalize the business at that point. Yeah, when you hired an employee after two, for after two and a half years, first off, you said, I'm actually going to make this. You know, it's the old thing they always talk about. So you don't have a choice. After five years, you're going to, you know, they always say over half the businesses fail after five years. And I would say sometimes they don't fail. Sometimes it's simply a matter of you you don't fail. It's just that you give up. You just say, my God, uh, this is 90 hour weeks. I'm barely making a living. So I don't think that some of these businesses fail. They just say, this is what I signed up for. I'm going to go and get a normal job with benefits and be able to walk out the door at 430 every afternoon. Yeah, there were several, several times that I looked online for a job that would afford me the flexibility that I had. I could have made two times or three times the salary that I was paying myself. But never did I find the flexibility, so I just kept continuing to push forward. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was paying my bills and putting food on the table for my kids. And that's all I cared at the time to have as income. So, Okay, so after two and a half years, it's making it. And then you said, I actually could expand. I need some help, and, and I actually could probably make some money by hiring someone. So how was that decision made? I spoke with a lot of other business owners that basically told me, do what you do best. And so I continued to do design and I needed to do the production. But the reason that I hired an employee was because the accounting side, bookkeeping side of things was taking my billable hours from me. And I was spending two times as much time as I should have been on those things. And so it was taking away from my billable hours. That's what ultimately... To free up my time, that's why I hired my first employee. Okay, you and I, speaking very frankly, since I've been there for the for the long time with you, and I was one of your early clients, you and I have talked about this because we both are in the same business. We are service providers that uh, have a certain amount of uh, a need to always cultivate new business, new clientele. Uh, you have more repeat clientele because of the nature of graphic design and marketing, whereas I tend to work for them, and then I, I go back and do a speech and something four years later, three years later. But there's always the constant demand for new clientele. There's always the constant nag that's like, hey, I got to make sure that we're uh, that we're going out and making sure that we have new people coming in the door. Is that the part that grinds you? No. Um, I mean, that's scary. And in the beginning, it was really scary when we only had a handful of clients. But for us, because we do marketing, our clients are growing. And because they're growing, their marketing budgets expand year after year. And so we do take on new clients. 
not as frequently as you would think, but for us, it's more important to make the, the businesses that we are working for grow so they give us more money to spend for their marketing. Absolutely. Speaking about getting clients, so what would you say to the person out here that thinks, oh, well, I'm not going to be a problem getting clients because I'm already so good? The first three years or four years of small business ownership, it does not matter how good you are at what you do. That does not get you clients. You're going to have to work very, very hard, no matter what. I mean, blood, sweat, and tears, and the clients just don't, they don't come knocking at your door. Once you have established a relationship with the base of your clients and they start talking to other businesses, they may come knocking at your doors, but it's, it's ridiculous to think that any small business just happens without working all night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week somehow for it. I've actually always appreciated that about your appreciation of my business because I, as a self-employed person that, you know, came up doing political comedy and then I sold presentations and I've got books and all that. You actually understood that behind this, there's actually got to be methodology and daily execution. And a lot of folks really do, they've heard it too much. They say, oh, just get word of mouth. And they believe that that just happens. But daily execution, messaging, uh, daily work, uh, following up, all those things matter. Yeah, word of mouth. I mean, we have grown by word of mouth and probably almost exclusively by word of mouth, but it's not, it didn't naturally happen. It's not really word of mouth though, Angie. You and I both know it. It's not word of mouth when you also have 10,000 people that keep up with you on a Facebook page. Yeah. It's not word of mouth when you also mail out uh, client uh, outreach. It's not word of mouth when you make sure that you go to an event on a Saturday at a business mixer. That's hardly word of mouth. That is still daily execution. Yeah, and we don't, I mean, we do marketing for all of our clients, but we don't feel necessarily that we're doing marketing for ourselves, but indirectly we are every day. Yeah, with so, our social media and our events. And, and you go to things and you shake hands and you demonstrate what you do. What do small businesses get wrong? I mean, you've made it for 12 years. You've got five employees plus yourself and you're in something that uh, is creative. People think, oh, that'd be fun to do. If you put the word out, a bunch of people would bang on your door because they'd want to come and work here. You know, it's neat. It's fun. There's a coffee. There's coffee pots. There's M&Ms. There's, there's interesting work. It's not just same old grind. But, but it's, there's work behind it. The question is, what, what did, do other ones get wrong? What did you do right? You you've, know, got it, you've got it fun. You've got it going on. I think that I don't know what other businesses do right or wrong. I had a very specific <laughs> environment that I wanted to create for my employees, and I never lost sight of that goal. And if you ask any of my employees today, I think that they would answer that they love the environment that they work in and they're comfortable and it's flexible. So I didn't compare any other businesses. I know that a business that just went out of business that did exactly what we do and is at the same size that we are went out of business because they lost track of the quality of the output of their work. And we're very, very particular here about that. But um, I don't know. I just, I had a goal in mind. Okay, if I'm going to have a business, this is how it's going to work. I don't want to be a boss. I want my employees to have the same flexibility as I have. I want to create an environment that's great to work in and people look forward to coming to work. And that's what we've done. So right or wrong, uh, I love coming to work every day and I want my employees to. Did you to, have it? You had it that way for yourself. I, mean, I had it, was, it that it, way. It was, by my, when it was mm -hmm. just you. When it was you at your card table, you at yeah. least made it so there was some joy in it. 
I, yes, I prioritized having a life uh, over having a, a business. And I never wanted for, for anything. I never wanted to be a rich success. I never wanted to find my success by being rich. I wanted to define my success by having the flexibility to do with my time what I wanted to do with my time and never lost sight of that. So you think flexibility to you is is the uh, is the is the definition of success. When I talk in my book about what's your picture of success, I say it's doing more and more of my own choosing and less and less of stuff that's imposed upon I, me. Yeah, that, I completely agree with that. Yeah, because you and I both again are service providers. There was times when we had no choice but to take whatever we whatever we could do, whatever we had to do, whatever came up. And then you say, I'm not sure I want to do that anymore. I I'm not as willing to work on you know all over an overnight Sunday night now. What uh, <laughs> What about when things don't go as well? And I know you've had to fire people or there's had to be in parting of company. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of employees. In fact, I have uh, my wife and then uh, some part-time once in a while help. You've had situations that blow up, as all small businesses do. And it's not because you didn't create a good environment. It's not because it's not comfortable nor fun. What happens? Yeah, uh, you learn. <laughs> I don't know. I have had to fire and that is my least favorite part of the job. But I guess I took that experience as uh, chalking it up to, well, I learned from that and I'll never do that again, or I'll be more careful about that. But it didn't create any negativity. Um, It it was difficult, but I liked challenges. And uh, not that I liked firing the employee, but I I, I shed tears over it. I was I was very upset about it, but I just learned from it. And the next time, it's not going to be as difficult. And that's the thing. It's easier, doesn't it? Because, <laughs> yeah. you you know, that's worth, where it's it's probably difficult. I know it would be for me because you say, I don't want to do this. But then again, I've got more. What I described in my book was I didn't want to have to have this difficult conversation, be stressed, almost cry over firing somebody. And then a person from outside said, you're not, you're afraid to take on this headache. It's already a headache that's got you stressed out Mm -hmm. and you're the one paying for it. And it's your business. You're the one that started this on a shoestring and did all the work. I think as, uh, as a small business owner, I've taken a lot of pride in the business that I've built. And I assume that my employees, if I treat them fairly, that they will also have as much pride in the business as me. And that's a big mistake that I've made. That's not true. No one views your business as their baby as you do. And so I assumed, and that was the first time in my career that I've had an employee that took advantage of the company and it was shocking to me, but it made me realize that I can't assume that anyone will value the business like I value the business, no matter how good you are to the people. Yeah, that's the thing is that it's almost, they told me and I read, actually I saw this on a documentary once, a great example. Walt Disney, uh, when his employees, uh, went on strike to unionize. He took it as a very personal affront because he couldn't understand when he had put almost bankrupted himself a number of times and failed so many times to create this business and then treated them like family and had these people over at his pool and would have done anything for them. He took it as a very personal affront. And actually the thing I got out of that was nobody values your business the way you do. Even if you treat them amazingly well, they still are served by their own self-interest. I have a great group of employees, and um, my employees were as upset as myself, not as upset as myself, but um, 
nobody understands the stress of paying taxes or the just the long hours of of up at night <laughs> writing down notes so that you don't forget them um the amount of work that y- you go out of the way to do something for the employees and nobody really fully understands how that takes up every bit of your life and they shouldn't they don't own the business sure right right but also there's been times when you made uh less than a couple of your employees and then there's been times when I paid you uh, in 2000, there've been within a few years of you and I starting our business, things were going and I paid your business more than my business had made just a few years prior because that's how this thing goes is that you struggle, struggle, struggle. You have some ups, that's you have some That's why we're downs. so successful. I mean, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think people don't realize the amount that the business owner makes. I think that it's a, I think that they think I'm going home rolling around in dollar bills, hundred dollar bills, but yeah. Sometimes, I, sometimes it's just I'm investing in the longevity of the company and that and that is my goal. All right, so. so that's your goal. Let's talk about longevity because that's a big subject that I like to cover. You've been at it for 12 years. You've done fine. You've got you've grown. You've got beautiful office space. You're taking on interesting work that you enjoy. You've gotten rid of some of your clients that uh, were were let's say below you or maybe they're, you know, small and they're they're just not who you want to work with. So you've got a good mix of clientele. You've got a good thing going. How do you keep it going? How do you keep it growing? Do you you keep grow? doing really good work for the people that you're working with. Um, but also, you've got to always find a new client because a few of these people are going to die. They're going to retire. Well, I, they're I read sell the their book, business. Mike Michalowicz's Pumpkin Plan. And it's um, about the, the pumpkin patch, how the pumpkins grow. And the, the pumpkins only grow um, largest if the small pumpkins are cut off of the vine. If the small pumpkins aren't cut off of the vine, then the larger pumpkins never grow as large as they could. We, um, our growth strategy has been to analyze every single year of our clients, which are the large pumpkins and the ones that are, are right for us and ideal for us. And that's the plan to continue. We don't have a plan necessarily to get as many clients as we can, but the big pumpkins. Yeah, the thing is, there's the other mix of that where a service provider gets to where they are then controlled because they work for one pumpkin. Yeah, and we are very careful that we have we. I know several marketing firms that that has been the reason they've gone out of business. Yeah, they, they, all of a sudden they keep saying, "Well, why would I bother with this little company over here, this little mm-hmm. pumpkin or this mid-sized pumpkin? I'm just going to put all my effort into being the marketing firm for this big pumpkin, and then the big pumpkin they own you." We um, are very honest with our clients. We had a client approach us earlier this year that had a budget that would have taken fifty percent of our time, and we turned that client down. Um, so we know that we need a balance and that client, that's not our client. There's clients that are too small and then there's clients that are too large. You just have to know what your ideal client looks like. Yep. And we may, may grow five years from now into a firm that that would be a great client of ours, but it's not right now. Angie, uh, a couple last ones because I don't want to use up all your time. After all, I pay you oh, for yeah, your time. Oh, yeah, on, you're on the clock right now. Absolutely. So we're talking to my girl, Angie Carroll. She and I have been doing business together since 2007. She, she's she uh, got a nice, thriving business called IBA Design. And, and uh, you know what? If you call her up, she may be able to do some work for you. But she's got a pretty good client mix right now. Here's my question for you. You're in a creative business, in a creative space. You and I both have a degree of creativity with what we do. Obviously, I create programs and books and material. I used to create comedy and content and all this sort of thing. People think that you just work on creativity when you're feeling creative. Why don't you go ahead and throw me the quick and dirty on creativity? Well, I'm in general a very creative person. It, 
it's every I'm it's everything about me. Um, however, we do meetings here with the group uh, once a month where we do activities that generate creativity and the environment that we work in. We kind of we have each other to toss ideas off of. And that generates a lot of creativity working in the open studio. But we actively um, take measures. Two weeks ago, my employees were out in the streets of Roanoke taking photos because their task was to find a place to take a photo with a team member that they could caption, I can't believe we fit in here. And so we're constantly doing activities that are... Is that something you just came up with or is actually something for a client? It was something that I came up with because we have regular meetings that we do activities that will stimulate the creativity. One of the other tasks of that meeting was to um, have their teammate take a photo of them sitting at a table in a local restaurant with a group of strangers. And so it makes them go out of their comfort zone. And you know what's funny is a couple of my employees had no problem with that. A couple of them them were terrified of doing that. And then so it was funny to see how they executed. But it, they had a list of several options of, of things. It was kind of a scavenger hunt, but more than a scavenger hunt, they were doing activities. And so we do... I mean, the meeting before that, we played Jenga. <laughs> I mean, and it's just, um, we constantly are... You're like a little miniature Google, where they have beanbag chairs and they have a game room. I, that's our next office. Except <laughs> except that your your share price is a little less. Yeah, a little. One All day. Right. Uh, Angie, my last uh, thing. Closing thoughts, ideas, insights. Th- 12 years of, of successfully piloting your own airplane here, of uh, running your own business and growth. Anything that you would share, any piece of advice that any person can use? Well, one of the best, I don't know if it was the best advice, something that has stuck with me, a story about a man that had a buddy in town that was helping him with his business and they needed to do something with the lights or something in in the warehouse. The guy needed to buy something for the lights and they drove by the home improvement store every single day that they were um, going to the house, to the office. And the buddy just kept saying, well, why don't you stop today and buy what you need for the lights? You know, why don't you stop and just buy that equipment? And the guy just said, "I'll, I'll wait until tomorrow. I'll get it tomorrow over and over and eventually they drove by and the buddy was like why don't you stop and he said because I fixed what I needed to fix I figured out a way to do it without buying that equipment and the point of it is that if you don't jump to getting things that make it easy or buying the equipment that makes it easy you force yourself to be innovative and creative and so if you don't give yourself all of the resources right away that make make tasks easy, you, you force yourself into innovation and creativity. And that's the advice. That's kind of how we work here. Um, we don't necessarily always take the easy route because if we don't, we can find a more creative, innovative way to, to do our tasks. And that, that stimulates creativity and creativity stimulates creativity. And that's that's the advice. We don't need all the frills and the fluffy everything that's fun and nice because we'll find a way to make it work. And I think that's the one of the business pieces of advice that I've gotten that has stuck with me over the years. All right. Last thing. You and I are both big on goals. Angie, you have goals for yourself, for your business, personally, professionally, financially, where you want to be. I do too. 
your thoughts on goals? Well, the first thing about goals is if I had a business plan, I would have never reached the success that we've reached as a company today because my goals would have been much, much less, even though I had thought at the time that they were lofty goals. But I think that when you do set goals, and I do have goals, I don't necessarily set them, but I do have them. Uh, it's important to be realistic. I, I read this once and I really like it. It says uh, there's a big difference between jumping out of a plane with a parachute and jumping out of a plane without a parachute. Only one of those scenarios will give you the chance to try to jump out of the plane again and again, even though both produce extraordinary experiences. You know, I think that that's a good example of, of setting realistic goals. So you set realistic goals, but you also know that you're going to be prepared in a situation where you can keep going after that goal yeah. if need be. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yep. Good advice. Fantastic. Thanks so much for being here. Her name is Angie Carroll of IBA Design. She's been doing business with me for 12 years, and I'm, I'm glad to have her on my team. I'm Damian Mason. Thanks for being here, Angie. Thank you. All right. Till next time, it's the Do Business Better podcast.